tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Hello everybody and welcome back to the Campbell's Footballs Podcast. Uh, I'm joined for this episode by a Highland footballing legend. This man has done it uh, at all levels in Scottish football and is remembered for quite a few famous goals or two. It is none other than Barry Wilson. Barry, a warm welcome to Campbell's Footballs. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm really pleased to have you on, buddy. Uh, how are you getting on uh, with uh, no football at the moment? It's a really weird time with coronavirus. Yeah, it's, it's obviously it's, it's tough, you know, um, it's tough for, probably tougher for the players. I'm quite fortunate that I've got a business uh, that's keeping me occupied as well while, we're, while we've been furloughed from the football. So that's given me some kind of normality to my life and some kind of structure. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's a lot that aren't as, as fortunate as that because, well, I don't know if I'll be able to handle it just just uh, being at home all, all the time but fingers crossed we're, we're you know we're on the the downward spiral so so you hear them saying and hopefully Nicola will maybe let us get a game of golf or two yeah week. absolutely are you, are you missing your golf more than anything else yeah just about I think so yeah I've played this year so and it's, I'm quite quite a keen golfer so it's it's been tough yeah there's a few people who listen to this podcast who are keen golfers what's your handicap it's nine at the minute. I've well, been, that's I've quite been good. As low as six, but I've been uh, changed different courses. I've stopped playing for a few years here and there, so um, I'm back, back playing again. Member at Inverness Golf Club and playing off nine, which is probably a bit right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of really nice golf courses in the north of Scotland, and uh, you know, a, a lot of people who know their golf uh, will have probably played quite a lot of them as well. Yeah, I cracking courses. I'm lucky. I'm maybe forty minutes from, you know, from Brora, Dorna, you know, Tain, uh, half an hour at Castle Stewart. So I've got, I'm, we're uh, very lucky. And the new new course at Inverness as well. So it's yeah, plenty plenty of good courses up here. Yeah, and obviously with no football at the moment, you say you, you're working with a business. Are you are you still up and about early in the day and still leading a fairly normal working life at the moment? Yeah, the shop opens at, we open at about 7 o'clock, so I'm getting to, it's keeping me, I'm just getting up at back at 6 and I go down. We've got a spar in, in the, with the main post office in the town and uh, so uh, that, that keeps us, that keeps us going. Although we've reduced hours and stuff, you know, uh, just through staff and the levels and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're managing, we're, we're helping the locals as well, we're doing deliveries and stuff like yeah. that, so we're... Uh, we're doing our bit. Oh, well, good on you. And I have to say, full credit to all key workers involved in this in this crisis because, you know, fair play to them. It must be tough every single day. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, Barry, I've got to say, thanks very much for, for coming on the Campbell's Footballs podcast. I've had a, a wide range of people on these shows, uh, but you've had a remarkable playing career. And then, obviously, latterly, I've gone into to coaching up at Inverness. And I really want to explore your story because there's so many caveats in it and a lot of questions I'd like to ask you. And my, my first question to you is what made you want to go into football in the first place? Um, well, my dad was a footballer. You know, he they played with with Dundee, uh, 10, 10, 11 seasons at Dundee, and then he was in management. And he was the manager at Ross County when I was, uh, well, we moved up here, I think I was about 15. So mm-hmm. he took over there, and then I just gradually, you know, 
through going watch him playing and watching him his teams when he was manager, he just mm-hmm. it just it was natural. Now I've played obviously played throughout primary school and, and stuff like that and um eventually got a got a bit of a break. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. You've had a you've had a really interesting start to your career. And Ross County back in the day weren't the club that they are now. And neither, of course, are Inverness. And everybody forgets that back in the early nineteen nineties, you know, it was very tough for the Highland clubs to really get together and, and really formulate the two great teams we have now. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's well, like my dad took over Ross County in nineteen eighty six or eighty seven. I think it was 87 maybe um, potentially even 88 but they were open in the Highland League mm-hmm. uh, and they were most of their players were amateur Yeah. and within three years four years they won the Highland League twice uh, we had won every cup going I think and we you know, beat a lot of good teams in the Scottish Cup as well and mm-hmm. then when they reconstructed the leagues you know they, they, they put in a great proposal along with the merch. Uh, Cali uh, and Timonis Thistle and uh, yeah those two clubs um, they're, you know, they've, they've not really looked back since so they've kept, both came a long way in full credits um, to everyone has been involved with those two clubs Now obviously there's a good bit of rivalry between Inverness and Ross County over the years but do you also think that the two of them have pulled each other along up, up, up towards the Scottish footballing tree? Yeah I think so um, I do think so. I remember, funnily enough, I played about three games. I think it was for Ross County when they got into the into the league uh, before I was uh, sold by Rovers. Um, so, and, and in those stages, Inverness, uh, Ross County, sorry, had the better of the first couple of years. Although now the team got promoted. Um, I think it wasn't until 96, 97 that um, Inverness started to, to to move forward. Steve, Patter, Steve Patterson brought in a lot of good players. Will Cherry, um, Scott McLean, Brian Thompson, Mike Teasdale, boys like that. From, you know, cracking players from the Highland League. Uh, Ian Stewart, another one. And then signed myself as well. I, I moved up here, I left Wraith after a couple of years. Yeah, I got offered a new contract, but I, I turned it down and I came back up and got married and I had nowhere to go. Yeah. Really, I got, I, I got married and uh, Steve Patterson asked me to train and uh, just to go along just to keep myself fit. And then eventually, um, the, the chairman at the time, Doug McGillivray, just said, look, if you want, if you can bear a year part-time, uh, if we win this league, we'll go full-time. So that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a remarkable start to your career because let's go back a little bit because you actually started at Southampton and I, and I find that a really interesting part of the story. I mean, how did that start out? Well, it's a start, yeah, well, before I signed for Raid, I think when I was 19, after obviously I started at Ross County and, and I was uh, the second time with the. My dad sold me a few times for now. <laughs> he sold me to Southampton when I was about 19, so I was 91 or 92. Um, and I moved down there. Hated it, to be honest with you. Right. Absolutely hated it. Had some great players. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't one of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was likes of Shearer, Letizia, Flowers, Dowie, Hamwalk. 
unbelievable players yeah. at the time and there was no way I was breaking out of that first team and so about what, three months later four months later my dad re-signed me for Ross County hmm. um, so that manager at the time Ian Bramford he wouldn't just let me go so Ross County then had to come up with the, the money that they got for me uh, and re-signed me again and I was there about another year and a half before I went to ended up going back down to Wraith Rovers yeah. so it was, I, it was, as a youngster you know we didn't have, we didn't have the chance back in the day um, that, that the youngsters have got now you know full time football on their doorstep you know we had, we didn't have that we were you know Ross County and, and, and Galithus or you know Inverness or whatever Highland teams part time football Um so we had to we had to move to get to get full time, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it's it's you absolutely make make a really interesting point that the opportunities for guys coming into the game now is is much wider than it was back in the the early nineteen nineties, and that was quite interesting. Uh, you mentioned about your dad and how he was involved with Ross County. I'd always ask players like yourself about inspirations. Was your dad an inspiration to you? Yeah, huge, absolutely. You know. Um, it was funny, he never pushed me, you know, and, and back in the day I always felt that he maybe should have done, right. you know, um, and I also, oh, is he really interested, but he just, he just let me find my, find my way, find my position, found what I was good at, um, and it turned out that I was, I was quite quick, uh, so he turned me into, into a winger, I was generally a, a forward to start with, but he'd be, Played me wide, obviously I was just a youngster, 16, 17, so mm-hmm. playing me wide, um, he put me to a, to the local amateur club and I was playing with, so I was playing with school one day, I was playing with the local amateur club, sometimes on the Saturday morning, mm-hmm. and I was playing for Ross County in the afternoon, maybe being on the bench, play again on the Monday night for the amateur under 19, I played for about four sides, right. and he just, felt like would make, he just felt like it would make me stronger. You know, I was going to these places, obviously being a Ross County player as well, and mm-hmm. getting kicked up and down the place. <laughs> um, but you learn to, you learn to adapt, and, uh, and so he has the way he dealt with it. Uh, with me was was, you know, was my inspiration really, and I've always wanted to try and prove him. Um, he got a lot of stick for playing me back in the day. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of stick. Uh, from county fans at times, sometimes deservedly so, and other times so because I was the manager's son. So I always felt I had to be better. You know, I had to work harder and I had to just to keep improving all the time to to stand still, really, because people were kind of, you know, he's only getting a game because he's he's the manager's son and, and stuff like that, you know. Was he? So that was. Yeah. Was your dad yeah. critical of you in training? Uh, I wouldn't say critical, but it was probably he didn't praise me, you right. know, as, as, as maybe as highly as others. But I, I wouldn't say I would. I wouldn't go as far as saying he was he was critical, but he always, you know, there was always something. But anything, any real criticism, sort of kept from closed doors at home, mm-hmm. you know, and then things to work on and stuff like that. So sure. that was kind of the way he was. He was very. You know, he was mild mannered, my dad. And, yeah. Uh, he wasn't a baller or a shouter, really. Anyway, you know. But yeah. coming home, 
he almost worked better. He almost worked in the, the disappointed aspect rather than the angry aspect. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that, that's very fair. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, you made the move to Wraith Rovers uh, in '94, and well, what a what a fabulous uh, time you had there because you actually represented Wraith in the UEFA Cup back in the day, and you know that was a time where uh, Wraith were really flying in Scottish football. Yeah, it was. Uh, my Yes. Uh, and I was cup tied, so I had to. I was play. I was basically went down there, um, and I remember my home debut against them. Fairman scored two goals, got beat five two, and uh, I would basically be playing the league games, and it would come to a cup game, and I'd be out league games, and, and so I made my way into the team quite quick. Although I, I always felt that. It, I did perform my best at you know at that time you know it, it just shows you a year from playing Highland League football I was playing uh, UEFA Cup football. Mm -hmm. Was that a huge step up? Massive, massive, yeah. Um, I found the step to the championship was fine. We won the championship that year uh, that I went there, and uh, I felt that fine. The next step was harder for me. The following year in the Premier League, um, and then obviously playing in UEFA Cup was great. Mm -hmm. I was injured the first games, and then I played and scored against the Crannies in, in the in the home leg. Yeah, I was not in that down here. Mm -hmm. but, but then I lost my form. Totally lost my form, and, and I was I was out of both scores for the Bayern Munich game, which probably to this day is probably still one of my biggest. Uh, regrets or, or heartaches in football. Did you still travel with the team for the Bayern Munich matches? Yeah, I was in the, I was in the I think in the days it was a sixteen man squad and, and we took eighteen to the home game and uh, eighteen or twenty maybe to the away game. Mm -hmm. And uh and yeah I was in both squads and stuff and just didn't even make make the bench. Funny in those days it always felt that like you had a better chance of being in the starting eleven yeah. because it's such a decent squad. Yeah, talk to me about that Wraith Rovers team. Because I was just having a look at this earlier on. Because I was only three or four at the time, and you know players like Danny Lennon, who are, who are now gone into management in the team, Gordon DL was in the team. Obviously, was a manager and now is a pundit. I mean, very interesting yeah. squad of players Wraith had back then. Yes, yeah, Stevie Crawford as well, the fellow manager. Right. Jason Jason Dale, who's his assistant. Uh, Davey Kirkwood as well, who's has a spells management. So. Yeah, with with really good squad, um, Colin Cameron as well. So, great, great, really good squad. Good with a great team spirit. Um, mm -hmm. We're really young side as well, mm -hmm. and uh, like I said, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I just felt that I didn't 
you know, it was probably the, the poorest football of my career. But mm-hmm. as I said, I, I just felt that the jump from playing higher league football in one season to maybe a season and a half down the line. I mean, our first two games when we, we won the league, we got promoted. So the first two games in the Premier League was away to Rangers, home Celtic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rangers were parading boys like Gascoigne and Loudrop and Celtic and Van Hoydong and Cadet yeah. and all these guys. And you know, I'm I'm a year and a half away from playing at Rothes, so <laughs> it was quite. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. Quite, uh, yeah. Do, really, but I did find it hard. Yeah. On, on reflection, did you think that maybe you'd never sort of mentally prepared properly for that step up, or, or can you not kind of foresee that coming? Um, well, I was hoping that was the, you know, the, I said the step to the championship felt fine. Uh, I didn't feel like my depth um, at that level, and probably. If I'm being brutally honest, I probably didn't work hard enough. Right. Um, you know, thinking back, I could have been back doing extra, but um, yeah, it, it just maybe in those days it wasn't. No one really did it. You know, you hear about now boys going back in the afternoon and doing this and that, but uh, I probably didn't work hard enough at my at my game to be honest yeah yeah I mean, it was, it's it's a very fascinating time being a Wraith Rovers fan let's talk about Jimmy Nicol before we move on I mean he's had a remarkable career in Scottish football but what, what was he like to work with brilliant absolutely brilliant so much time for him um, he you know he did try and encourage me to, to work harder he was something he should take me you know for, we would go into the pitch for a you know, if I felt, you know, hadn't played Saturday, what was the reasons for it? We'd just say, grab a ball, we'd go out and we'd just kick a ball about and then we'd go and sit and have a chat and he would get me to work on little bits. But mm-hmm. I, great guy and I was part of the reason I didn't sign again. Obviously, Jimmy left for Millwall yeah. um, that season, and this order's next season. And, uh, and obviously then he took, he took uh, Steve Crawford and Jason Dare, Dave Singler with him. And I think then that kind of broke up the team spirit. Uh, and yeah, like I said, I just it wasn't quite the same without those players and, and without Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy, for example, you know, he he actually spoke at my testimonial dinner for me. Right. You know, he was. Uh, he you know once you know him, you know he'll never he doesn't forget. You know and. He, he did that for me for, for nothing as well. He didn't charge me a penny. Spoke to him. I spoke to him. You know, he was um, he was assistant manager at Elgin, at yeah. Elgin at Dundee. Dundee, yeah. Um, so we're still keeping in touch with him in that. And yeah, it was it was great. He was honestly, I can't speak highly enough of him. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you make the move up to Inverness uh, in '96. I mean. Do you, did you, do you almost have to kind of pinch yourself and look when you look back at your time at Inverness, both periods, but certainly the first time, you know, just think how well or how enjoyable was that experience for you at Cali? Huh. Yeah. Let's say the first year when they were, you know, they were building the new stadium, just started building the, the new stadium. So I played a few games at Telford Street. Um, but we were training at a rugby club with maybe it. 50 square metres of pitch to use and you you think from there to 
you know, quickly how quickly they got into the into the Premier League within what 10, 12 years. So, yeah. I mean, amazing, amazing, really. And, and, and like I said, you know, credit to everyone that's been, that was involved with the club. It was. I moved up. I said I got married, and then Pell just asked me I want to train, and then we just signed and dropped the league that year. We only won the league with four games to go. Mm-hmm. Um, with such a strong squad, um, so that was that was me. Sort of, I, I came back to that level, and I, and again, probably because my confidence wasn't quite there. Didn't have the best of seasons. I had a, a little injury that year. That I, I was quite fortunate with injuries throughout my career, but that year I was maybe out for a couple of months. And I think I only scored something like five five goals in my first year in the in that division. Yeah. Um, and it was just it was probably a case right throughout my career. It just gradually kind of improved. You yeah. know, I was a I was a slow burner type of player. You know, I was I was always very very quick when I was younger, but maybe didn't know how to use it at times. Yes. And then as that pace kind of gradually wavers a little, your your uh, your knowledge of the game needs to learn and it needs mm-hmm. to improve, and your technical aspect needs to improve as well. And, and luckily for me, it did. Did you always feel in that Inverness side at both levels, but certainly the first time round, that you were almost the underdogs every game you played because you know you were you're a small, with all due respect, a small club in the Highlands up against some you know some bigger sides other wares around Scotland. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, by the time I had moved up here, you know, they'd had a couple of seasons in the in the League Two or I think it was the third division at the time, and. Uh, they were beginning to find their feet, you know. They were, they were top half of the league, I think, both seasons. Yeah. Um, but still, like you said, probably most teams would have felt that, yeah, they should be beating, and, and you know, in them days, they should be beating a, a team from from up that way, you know, the the the, the, the southern, the, the the central belt bias, as we speak. They, you know, they would all thought that they yeah. could, uh, that they should be beating teams from Dingwall and Inverness, but. I think by the time I I arrived and like I said earlier with Paul Cherry and Scott McLean and, and these types of players I looked at it and I thought I did generally thought there's no way we're not really winning this league I was so confident but um, and, and like I said it was luckily enough it was it was proved to be right you yeah. know but then in the next couple of seasons again we had to find our feet again and, and that was kind of the, you know it wasn't a rapid success mm-hmm. like like Gretna or whatever you know we Roasting right through the leagues, but it was more gradual for him. Yes. Does that does that help a gradual success because you have that little bit of stability and that experience on and off the pitch? Yeah, I thought I think you're bang on. I think it, uh, it definitely helped with that. We had I think we had two seasons in in Division Two, uh, and then we got promoted uh, as runners up to Livingston after a, an absolute classic game. Yeah. Uh, at Almond Vale, second last game of the season, four three. It was pretty much a winner takes all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a couple of seasons there, and then it kind of stagnated a little bit in, in Division One and again, but but probably, you know, still building that foundation. So that you know we're we're going from here up. We're not going from here back down. You know, and yes. we're never ever in any any danger of that mm-hmm. really. Yeah. 
Talk to me about some of the players in that team. You mentioned guys like Paul Cherry, but I look back on that Inverness side and I think of people like Paul Sheeran, Jim Calder, you know, players like Ross Tokley at the back. And, you know, what a really nice, well-rounded squad. Quite a small squad, but a very yeah. decent squad on paper. Yeah, with that, it was, it was, you know, Pell, Steve Patterson, you know, he, he, uh, he certainly had to put a team together. Yeah. The guy, and there's another manager that I've got, got on so well with. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, he, you know, brought in boys like Totally. Big Bobby Mann was, of course. you know, just a, a, a quality defender. Um, you know, Paul Sheeran, Barry Robson was, was in course. the squad then yeah. as well. Um, you know, along with obviously Duncan Shearer was was player coach. Um, but we always had, we always had that good, good strikers as well. Obviously, Ian Stewart and Dennis Wynes were, were probably two of the, the finest finishers that I've been fortunate to play with. And, yeah. You know, we could always rely on their goals up front as well. What was the camaraderie like in the dressing room? Who were the the cheeky chappies? Who were the guys that liked a little bit of a wind up? Um, Oh, did you not have people like that, I wonder? Sorry? Oh, did you not have many people like that? No, we, no, we did. I mean, let's say Barry Robson was one who you just... That doesn't surprise me. ...the brush. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he was he was pretty crazy. Uh, Big Duncan was, was a good wind-up merchant. Charlie Christie as well was another excellent player. Wonderful player. Um, so, yeah, we all liked a bit of banter, but... Our team spirit and that kind of, I always felt it was made on the A9, you know, on the way home every second week, we just about without fail would be heading up that A9 and we'd all have a beer, playing cards, singing songs, whatever it was, you know, and I thought that's where our, our team, team spirit really, really came from. Yeah, and, and I... A good team has to have good camaraderie on on and on and off the pitch. Uh, obviously, at Cali, Barry. I mean, there has. I always ask my guests, what is the iconic game? Surely, the one for you is the Super Cali Go Ballistic game at Celtic Park. I mean, I remember watching that game or the highlights of that game back in 2000, and just still to this day amazed that a team from the Highlands could go down to Celtic Park and, let's be honest, completely deserve to beat them. Yeah, that's it. It's a one-off game. Definitely the iconic game. You know, it's the one that that uh, everyone speaks about, and it's and rightly so. Like you say, at the, at the time we were, I think we were maybe either fifth or sixth in the championship. So it wasn't like we were a Highland League team, but what we were, were a, we were a club or a side full of Highland ex Highland League players. Mm -hmm. You know, I think at one stage, I think there was nine out of the eleven. If I'm not mistaken, that I'd played Highland League football. What? So for me, that was the that was the real kind of thing for for us anyway as players. You know, the the media and the fans might have thought differently, but for us as players, we always thought, well, you know, as you said, Jim Calder played Ross Tokley, Mark McCulloch, um, Stuart Golabek, you know, Charlie, myself. I think, as I said, about eight or nine of them had played Highland League football, so yeah. it was. It was uh, that was the most most satisfying 
aspect of it. Yeah, and twenty—it's now twenty years ago that <laughs> that game took place. Yeah. And I, it, you almost blink and you miss it because I—I I remember that game so vividly. And I was—I was actually just watching it before we recorded this podcast, and all I remember is seeing Chick Young's, uh, you know, kind of review of the game. And you know, it, you know, it was a game that everything just seemed to go right for Cali that night. Yeah. You know, you always, we always say it, you hear managers say it all the time when you go play the old firm away from home or even at home, your goal has got to have an outstanding game. Yeah. And to this day, it was one of the best goalie performances I've seen by Jim Calder. Um, he was unbelievable things. He was like a magnet. You know, everything just was straight out on his position. It was obviously on point. Um, and... And you also need you need a you need a little bit of luck as well. And let's like say it was just one of those nights when everything kind of fell in. We all played individually and collectively. We all were probably between definitely between seven and ten out yeah. of ten. Yeah. I remember the son gave everyone tens. Yeah. You know, but I mean, generally <laughs> we were all no yeah. one dipped below seven. It was and it was just one of them. That everything just fell into place um, yeah it was it was, a, it was a phenomenal night describe your emotions when you head in the opening goal because I was watching the highlights and it, it, it's a cracking header I remember Jonathan Gould was Celtic goalkeeper at the time and he wasn't that bad in between the sticks for Celtic yeah yeah he was a go- yeah it was it was something obviously it was February 2000 uh, February 2000 and Pearl had moved me up front in the December and uh, I went on a run and scored about I don't know 10, game, 10 goals in 10 games so I, I kept being playing there and obviously the, the Millennium goals were in there as well and, yeah. um, I, it was just I was going through a, a crazy purple patch basically mm-hmm. and like, as soon as I seen Paul Sheeran get it and I still say this to, to Peanut to this day is I knew Fine he wasn't going to go down, you know, he wasn't the quickest, so I knew he would just shift it and deliver it, and uh, so I just gambled, and let's say once, I wasn't known for my scoring many headers, Yeah. Um, but uh, I ma- I'd managed to start start improving, I had worked on that with Big Bobby Martin, my header, and he'll tell you this, and uh, gambled, glanced it, flew in, could have went anywhere, Yeah. and that was amazing, it was just one of them where things just went right for us yeah. and yeah it was just it was just ecstatic but then probably 45 seconds later I was came back down the earth yeah. and they equalised and when Celtic get that equaliser everybody apart from you guys must have thought you know that's it you know the, the you know the, the opportunity of a big shock is kind of being evaporated away but then you guys come back and get the, the break with the own goal from Moravchik although I'm sure um, was it Bobby Mann who nodded yeah. it on you know he'll be claiming that goal still to this day will he? He does every time I see him. <laughs> and then, and then, is it you that wins uh, the penalty for the third goal? Yeah, yeah. I think I run across. I think it's Reggie Blinker. I yeah. I bounce a little one two, and I get a, a wee break again. I think their defender reads it, but takes a heavy touch, and I get it back and drive across Reggie, and he just cuts my heel slightly. And I thought, well, that's enough. I'm going down, and uh, again, some referees might have went. No, there's not enough contact there. Um, but Dougie McDonald gave us that and then Paul Sheeran stuck it away. Yeah. And, but I still maintained until about 
the clock hit 90 and we're 3-1 up I wasn't convinced we would we wouldn't yeah at 3-1 I thought I, I generally thought the board will be happy because the worst, the worst will get a, a replay mm-hmm. you know and then as soon as the, as soon as the, the clock hit 90 said the big scoreboard at Celtic Park it was, it was a nightmare I thought it was never moving it was just standing still but eventually it got to 90 and I thought yeah they're not scoring two now yeah and then, uh, and then the and, yeah, and then the aftermath of that game, you know, for for days upon days upon days, it's all about a, a wonderful headline like that. I mean, Super Cali Globalistic yeah. Celtic are atrocious. I mean, it's it's probably the most iconic Scottish footballing headline, and you could look at it two ways. It's probably the still, in my opinion, the biggest result in Inverness's history and probably the biggest cup shock in history. But on the flip side, it's also Celtic's most embarrassing result in history. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's probably, you know, up there. I thought, you know, the most declined a few years That's later. Right. And I remember Roy Keane's debut, I think mm-hmm. it was, and then the lost declined, and that was a bad result. But, but the thing so, is, I think yours yeah, is bigger because they were they, Celtic were at home that night. Yeah, that's it. That's 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 the big issue. With and you mentioned a really big part. point earlier on in the fact that eight or nine players in that Inverness side were Highland League players, and that surely counts at least fivefold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just showed how far that the, the players, did, how much they'd improved through full time training, through good coaching. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the belief that was installed in them by the by the management staff, you know. Just so yeah, so you might go back the headline. Probably the headline kind of gives everyone that kind of JFK moment where you remember where you were when you yeah. when you read that headline and it's kind of it's just kept the whole ball the ball rolling basically regarding yeah. regarding the upset even, even now yeah I mean do people still come up to you in the street and talk to you about that day no, do you know it's funny we're obviously up in the shop um, when Celtic or Rangers fans come up to the when they play Ross County uh, and I'm um, if I happen to be working because they generally come up on a Sunday or that, I might be behind the tills and if they recognise me that's, what, that's the first thing that the Celtic fans will say thank you because it's one of the best things that happened yeah. uh, you know they got the Martin O'Neill came in after that and sorted them, sorted them right out so yeah. Uh, yeah both sides of the old firm were quite Eventually, uh, we're quite happy. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned earlier on um, the fact that you're a little bit of a history man because you scored the last senior goal of 1999 and then you scored the first goal of 2000, which is quite astonishing as well. Yeah, again, it, it was just that little sort of spell. I was right in the middle of that little spell and just things were, were, were going for me. And the... the we played, I think it must have been the 30th of December or something like that, we were home at Clyde Bank, their bus broke down or something, they were late getting there, we kicked off 15 minutes late, mm-hmm. and I scored with maybe 5 minutes to go, Yeah. Uh, and and then we were then playing the way at Livingston on the 2nd or 1st or 2nd of January, mm-hmm. um, Livingston Stadium didn't have they were building a new stadium it didn't have lights yeah. so it had to be a, I think a one o'clock kickoff. and I remember reading it was on the Saturday morning Bill Leckie uh, had put in, in the sun that you know that I'd scored the last goal of the millennium and by freakish chance that I had I actually had the chance to score the first goal of the new millennium as well mm-hmm. uh, 
And of course, lo and behold, it's about an hour in, it's still nil nil, and I popped up and I funny enough with another header. And uh, of course, we all knew then what that meant because the other games had kicked off you know, so it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it's still a fantastic accolade and, and one that you know will be remembered for, forever more. That is for sure. In between two um, really great stints at, at Cali Thistle, where you had over two hundred fifty appearances, you then played for Livingston. I mean, at that time as well, Livingston were a club that were also going in, in an upward trend. Just explain to me the dynamic of moving from the Highlands back down to Amundville. Yeah, I think. Well, that said, it was just it was the summer of two thousand, and uh, uh, Livingston and Inverness had been kind of battling right throughout, you know, the second division and then the the championship as well. And Inverness were a little bit strapped for cash uh, at the time, and uh, Jim Leishman, I think, and I think they had an idea to to weaken the other side. Mm -hmm. I've never had it confirmed, but they signed. Um, so they came in and I think they paid, I think it was 100,000 they paid for for me. Uh -huh. And then they signed Mark McCulloch and they then signed David Zouser as well yeah. from Inverness. Went and signed David Hagen and Scott Crabb from Falkirk. Mm -hmm. And about a month into the season, they signed Steve Tosh Marvin Andrews and Alex Burns from Wraith Rovers. So they really crippled, you know, three of their, three of their opponents. Yeah. Uh, and so the really only, the, the real only test was Area United were putting a little bit of money in at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, they signed the likes of Paul Shear and Eddie Ann and these types of guys. So they're basically going to be a shootout. But the squad that Livingston put together was unbelievable it was about a 25 man squad but everyone expected to play on Saturday yes it was it was nuts yeah uh, and uh, and then you know, obviously we went there did reasonably obviously won the won the league that year um, with I think it was with a game to go funnily enough we won it at Inverness uh, and it was just yeah it was it was it was great times great a, a really, really good, good set of boys, um, and then obviously then the dynamics changed a little bit after that. They went down the the foreign legion route, yeah, uh, which was fine as well. Thoroughly enjoyed playing with a lot of, you know, a lot of top players. David Fernandez obviously was one of them. He's 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 one of my favourite players in, in Scottish footballing history. I mean, I think he's a, a really flashy player, and he's he's a little bit of an icon at Livingston, David Fernandez. Yeah. Oh, he was, yeah, phenomenal. They had two seasons before he signed for Celtic for about a million. But, mm -hmm. I mean, David made us, gave, made us so much space, it was unbelievable because he'd take two or three defenders away with him every time. Yes. And he, he was strong as an ox as well, apart from being skillful. The amount of times he would take two or three on and he would hold it up and then all of a sudden he would just pop it in behind and you'd be through and goal or sell yeah. You know, David Bingham or David Sousa. And David Bingham was a great player as well. Forgot about him as well. And even looking through that team, it's just time looking at it just now, obviously, Alan Main and goals as well around about that time as well. He was a he was a fabulous keeper. Alan Main, yeah, he, he came in the, the following season. We had, uh, obviously, well, we had Ian McAlden and Neil Alexander to start with. Yeah. 
And then we had Javier Sanchez Broto. Broto, that's right. Uh, and then Alan Ben came in in, in the third year um, as well. But yeah, so, I mean, again, the squad was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Stuart Lovell came in, signed Kino, uh, Kino Cabrera was a, a phenomenal player. Um, it was a great time. Loved my time at Livingston. Really did. It was, uh, but it was, I was, it was, uh, it came to an end probably more in the boardroom when they decided to try something different and bring in a Brazilian coach. Yeah. Uh, Marcio Barrelos or whatever I think his name was. And, uh, it wasn't for me. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. for me. Yeah. The, yeah, no, I, I can't totally understand. I mean, let, let, let's speak about Jim Leishman because another iconic name in the world of Scottish football. I mean, what was Jim like to work with? Great. I got on great with Jim. Jim was, back in the day, Jim was a, a, a kind of pal of my old man's as well. So, ah, okay. Uh, my dad worked for Jim for a wee while when he was at Dunfermline. My dad was, I think, was chief scout event. He'd done a wee year scouting from. So I got on great with Jim. I'd known him for years. He, Jim was actually. Back in the day, I don't know if you remember, he was, but his manager of part uh, Everness Nestle for yes. a while. Yes, yes. Vaguely do, uh, but yes. <laughs> and he uh, signed me for Everness Nestle, and I was close to signing for him when I was going through a tough time at Ross County with the fans and stuff. Mm. Um, so he always wanted to get me, try to sign me for Dunfermline, eventually got me to Livingston. But just a character. But he was only allowed to do his stuff. He, need, he needed someone beside him, and, and for me, one of the the best coaches I worked for, Davy Hay, uh, beside him, um, along with John Robertson, obviously as a coach. It was in Alan Preston as well. It was in a great backroom squad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it was a fantastic time at, at Livingston, and then you made the way back up to the Highlands to to rejoin uh, Inverness under. John Robertson. I mean, Robbo, you know, is another iconic name in Scottish football. Obviously, he's at Cali at the moment. He's still working with him. I mean, what is Robbo like? Because he's 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 been there, done it, got the t-shirt, and more. I I should tell you as well. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's brilliant. I mean, he, he eats, sleeps, breathes football, scoring goals. You know what he was like as a player. He's you know. All the time, footballist, and it's, it's so enthusiastic about the game. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Um, back in the day, it was actually Graham Bennett, the, the chief executive at the time, phoned me up when I was at Livingston when they were going to appoint a new man. Andy Parson had left for uh, Aberdeen, and uh, you know, said, "What do you think?" I'm thinking about John Robertson. I said, "Hundred percent, absolutely no doubt." He's he's so ambitious, he's, he's hungry uh, and he, I mean his contacts in the game are, are second to none yeah. they really are But um, so he went there uh, finished the season off and then he came and then he signed David Bingham and then he signed myself just before the transfer window um, in 2003 uh, and Obviously, then you know we Inverness were still in the championship, but we uh, we managed to get out, get them out of it pretty quick. Yeah, 
I mean, I was looking around about the time frame, and I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but didn't Cali have to ground share with with Aberdeen at this time because their stadium wasn't up to SPFL standards or SPL standards, as you said? Yeah. So, as I said, we not selling bringing joint, but rejoined them a mess, uh, who were, you know, still still a really good championship side. So we won the championship that season. Last game of the season against St Johnston, we won the trophy. But at the time when we won the trophy, we weren't sure whether we were allowed into the Premier League or not. Mm-hmm. The, the, the directors had to come up with some kind of plan because of the, it was all because we all see our stadium. So they came up with an ingenious idea of ground sharing with Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Now, so when your home games three hours away. Yeah. Wasn't it wasn't ideal, no. and luckily, um, I think everyone got together and said, "Like, okay, come January, that's you played everyone away from home, you played everyone at home." Inverness had got two, two temporary stands, got it passed, and then in the January we were mm-hmm. able to play home games. Yeah, that must have been a really frustrating time not having to play half those home games at. Cala Thistle and, and, and having to play them in a different city altogether yeah well that's it I mean every you know every Saturday you were either as I said two and a half three hours to Aberdeen or you're two and a half three hours mm-hmm. you know you, you didn't have that luxury at all having a long lie and wandering <laughs> night to the stadium at half past one you know you were away from eight, and eight, eight o'clock every Saturday morning until eight nine o'clock every Saturday night it was it was tough going yeah um and although you know again but once we were more professional obviously the, the drinking on the bus and stuff like that stopped um, but it was it was it was it wasn't it wasn't great and as I said luckily you know the the, the board eventually got up um, as a temporary stance yeah yeah it, it's it's a really interesting period and then you, you then went to Queen of the South uh, in 2008 for a, for a short period of time again a fair distance from the Highlands down to down to Dumfries I mean what was the what was the reasoning for that um, well obviously 2008 I was I was 36 and uh, still performing but I wasn't getting a game at Inverness uh, Craig Brewster was Manager, my contract came an end in December because I've got a six-month extension, and um, came an end in December. And they just told me that they weren't going to renew it, which was fine. It was his right to do so. Uh, and again, I'll go back to um, an old teammate, Steve Tosh from Livingston, who kept touch with us still do to this day. He's one of my best mates. He was at Queen of the South, so he told Gordon Chisholm that I was available. Gordon Chisholm phoned me up. That day, I the day that I actually got released, I phoned Tosham and said, yeah, that's me in your way, kind of thing. Yeah. And that night, Gordon Chisholm said, do you want to come down and play for us? Of course, I hadn't even given it a second thought. I just went, yeah, that sounds fine. I know what to get back playing. Didn't even think, well, I'll just wait and see if there's any other <laughs> offers on the go, you know? <laughs> um, and then a couple of days... I think a day later, it was actually Jockey Scott phoned me from Dundee, and you know, in all honesty, that would have been a little bit yes. better for me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I went to Queens and had a great year. I loved it. Scored a few goals for them. Really enjoyed it. But 
the travel book began to take its toll. But after a year of, I think I'd done about 30 odd thousand miles. I thought, no, that's, that's plenty. Yeah. Get, get home time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that was around about the time that Queen of the South were really aside with a little bit of momentum. I think they were I think they were not in Europe around about that time. And, you know, they beat Aberdeen in the in the Scottish Cup, that the, the semi-final, uh, famously that 4-3 game, didn't they? I mean, that was a, a really good time to be a Queen's fan. Yeah, that's right. They were, they, the season before I joined, they, they got the Scottish Cup final. Like I said, beating Aberdeen in the semis unlucky against Rangers and then uh, they played um, in the UEFA Cup and it was a Danish team Northland I think it was at the yeah. um, but they were out of the UEFA Cup before I arrived as I said I arrived the first week in January um, and it was quite funny I was, I, you know you maybe read a few posts so oh, this guy's 37 in February what we're doing signing this scored two goals in the first two games and the Sort of went, went over the, the fans quite quickly realised that I was still quite capable at, at that level, you know, dropping back down to the championship again. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I was still fit. Luckily enough, the three or four years with, with Craig Brewster at Cali was the one thing Craig did install in me was work ethic um, and got myself really, really fit for someone in my age. You know, it was probably the fittest that I'd actually been, was probably 34, 35. Yeah. Um, was Craig, a lot of Craig's focus was on fitness and that definitely added years on in my career no doubt yeah absolutely and then to kind of wrap up your sort of playing days you, you had a stint at Peterhead and then a stint at Elgin which was which is obviously very close to up my way and, and, and two really good clubs yeah great That's, I came I, I, I decided for Gordon Chisholm I said to Gordon I, 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 let me go at Christmas time that'll do me and I came home and uh, and again, it's how football works, ex-teammates and stuff like that. It was Bobby Mann this time. He was playing at Peterhead. Uh, spoke to Neil Cooper and said that I was available. So I signed for them, played for them at the end of the season. So I was still on my travels. And then at the end of that season, I was like, OK, that'll do. I was ready for retiring. And then uh, Ross Jack asked me to be assistant manager, or player assistant manager. And uh, so that was... That was me, and another year at that, I turned 40 in February, and I scored about a week after my 40th birthday, <laughs> that was my last ever goal. Yeah, you've not got the accolade as the oldest player to score in a Scottish football game, have you? <laughs> nah, I just missed that one by about six months, I think. <laughs> who, who, who's, who's got that one, I wonder? I, I can't remember, because someone did check. Uh, I should really know, because I'm into my stats next, and don't know myself, I'll have to go and find that out. There you go, there's one for you, Grant, but I think someone did check, uh, but there was, there was someone older, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nice wee other accolade to add to your already uh, fabulous correction. Yeah. Uh, you, Barry, you've done a stint management as well. Did you did you always feel that you would go into managing and coaching after your playing career? I did. I think towards, when I was at Livingston, and I was at Livingston at 28, 29, you kind of hit that near that 30 mark and you go oh how much longer have you got so I went I did my badges while I was still playing mm. and and then obviously then I started to see the game from a coach's aspect which actually improved me as a player which is why I think I kind of got better ways because I started learning the game more yeah um, and so I had that in my head yes 
obviously I always wanted and always felt I was hopeful that something would happen in my mess, you know, playing 35, 36, I was hoping there might be a player coach role there. But Craig had his backroom staff. Of course, ironically, about two weeks after I left for Queen of the South, Craig got sacked, um, which might have, had I still been in my mess, might have been a whole different conversation. Yes, yeah. Enough. But like I said, it's, what's for you won't go by you, so there's no ill feeling. So then, after the assistant manager at Helgen, I took, uh, I took the job at Wick Academy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've been from Dumfries to Peterhead to Wick. I've been. Uh, <laughs> You've been all over Scotland, Scotland, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the like the car journey. Yeah. Um, so I took the Wick job. Loved that. Really, really enjoyed the time at Wick. With a really good season. Uh, and then I got approached by Queen of the South to take the manager's job there. And I thought, no, my time travelling's done. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with it. I'm, you know, yeah. I'd rather not be a manager than have to do that again and move the family. So turned that down. And then the Elgin job came up. Ross had been sacked, and then Elgin approached me, uh, and I took the job. Not reluctantly, but I knew how hard a job it was. But I did feel having sort of turned down Queen of the South. If I don't take this, I might. You know, there's it's another. I need to take the step up, mm-hmm. uh, and didn't. I try to do things too quickly, Elgin. I try to turn them around too quickly. Yeah. Uh, regarding the player base, the player base was eighty percent south. I try to build a north base squad. I try to flip it eighty twenty. Yeah. From twenty to eighty, and I kind of got there. But I expected immediate results mm-hmm. and it didn't come. Um, and I got what I felt was actually a decent squad developing, but couldn't get results. And I thought, no, do you know what? Nah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not going down this route. Of what I just, well, I'd had enough. It was affecting me, my home life. Right. Um, I was taking it out on the wife and the kids, and that wasn't mm-hmm. me. So mm-hmm. I resigned after about eight. Eight nine months, yeah. nine months maybe. Yeah. Uh, and then went and uh, luckily enough fell into a job with, with the BBC on the co-commentary side and the analysis side. Yeah, I mean, I mean that it's a, it's a really interesting dynamic, you know, the the physical and mental side of the game, and and more and more footballers and ex-professional footballers notably always talk to me about you know the, the great times they had and the, the great highs that you have but also a lot of them are very open about the tough times and, and it's really interesting to see that dynamic from yourself Barry I'm, I'm, I'm really ex- I'm really yeah. sur- I'm really interested to hear that story I, I had I was lucky in my career I was obviously quite successful playing playing in, in, at levels where I could be successful, you know, or I think we won, I won three championships, one third division, a couple of Challenge Cups, we finished third in the, the, the SPL at Livingston, I kind of that, you know, I was, I'd never been relegated anything like that, and then all of a sudden I couldn't get results at Elgin for, and something I maybe just didn't know how to change it, I was trying too hard, I wasn't trying hard enough. Yeah. And it started really getting me. I was, I mean, I'd be on the phone to John Robertson every Saturday night, mm-hmm. you know, and he'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be wanting to go off the Keswick Bridge or whatever. He said, you know, as soon as you get the Keswick Bridge, switch it off. And and 
concentrating your home life. I, I couldn't, I couldn't switch it off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I took it home with me, and uh, luckily I didn't have a car, or it was if I might have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I, that was that was how bad I was. That was how bad I was feeling. I'd also started. I was also starting my business and started, and it was beginning to affect me in that line as well, where I wasn't spending enough time there. Um, and I just thought, Do you know what? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you mentioned very quickly about the the Coolcom side with the BBC. Was that something that entered your mind? Can I cut you there for a second, Grant? Yeah. Can, can we do this question again? Yeah. I'm going to run out of charge, mate. I need to get my charger. No worries. I'll just pause the. Yeah, the, the Coolcom's thing, Barry. Was that something that that caught your attention? Did you fancy going down that route at all? Um. For um, MFR with Ian Old when when I could uh, after I sort of finished playing and then uh, fun enough the reporter lad Martin Dowden from the BBC came to interview me after I resigned from Elgin mm-hmm. and he just said you know what are you going to do with yourself now and I said, we did an interview kind of like this a little bit about my career and and I said I don't know I'm waiting to get a new operation I was going down to Glasgow to get can't let's tidy it up. I said, I'm going to get that done before I do anything. This has been annoying me for years. And uh, I got out of the operation and I got a text from him to say, do you want to do open all mics on Saturday? Yeah. Uh, and I said, yeah, great. Brilliant. I'll... And then, so I got into that, which I love, totally love doing, watching football. You know, things that, things that I've always loved doing, watching football, talking about football getting paid for it was, was helpful yeah <laughs> but it was and, and also gave you a little bit of balance to your life where I was you know I knew where I was going to be that Saturday mm-hmm. I was either Bruce just generally going to be either at Ross County or I was going to be at Manessa's BBC were they were great that way you know they were, yeah. they were obviously cut down on travelling why would they send someone up here from Glasgow when I could cover either game yeah um, and but, you know, he said, oh, you know, you, you speak quite well, blah, blah, blah. I said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'd, done, I'd done training for media, actually, um, but never never sort of used it. So but I said, when Martin asked me to do it, I was like, yeah, great. And as I said, totally loved it. Totally loved it. I knew fine that on a Saturday night, didn't matter. I, I wouldn't be up... Obviously, I would be down on the floor. I would be level, which is which is where I like to be. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very interesting. Cause I, I like the open all mic segment on uh, on sports sound, and, and Richard Gordon really runs a, a great ship there. Yeah, really good. So brilliant to work with. Really good. What a professional he is. Yeah, I and uh, you know, made it made it made me so welcome. You know, he always knew when to to bring you in and, and uh, no a lot, a lot of time for Richard I must admit he was he was great yeah uh, as you know as they all were you know you mentioned Chick there you know working with Chick Young and um, as well he was uh, just just the, the whole the whole crew you know they were so friendly and it was it, it just felt it felt natural you know you were dialing up and then you were your first couple of weeks you might be a little bit nervous and you would maybe not say very much but then once the confidence starts a bit like every new job and stuff you know you would start 
throwing in some quips here and there and, and, and joining in the banter and, and yeah, I, say I loved it. Yeah, and we're obviously coming to the end of the well, we're coming to the end of the podcast, Barry. I've really enjoyed our discussion. Um, you're currently at Cali as a coach. Um, is that you know working with the first team and the under eighteen squad? And you know, I always think I was asked at the end of this about the future for the the people I'm speaking to. Uh, what does the future life yourself? Obviously, we're in this coronavirus at the moment, but post this and when football comes back, I mean, what 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 does the future hold for you? Well, fingers crossed that, listen, it will come back. There's, you know, hopefully everyone comes out of it. You know, every club comes out of it. All the players have, have jobs to go back to. That's that's the most important thing at the minute. But, for, you know, I was I was delighted. Like, when Robbo asked me back two years ago, when he obviously took over and Brian Rice left, and he asked me to, to come in and, and take the under-18s, but combine it with the first team, um, did that. First year, and then last year was I was more with the first team last year than under 18s, mm-hmm. um, and then next year I, again, who knows? I'm, I've got another year of my contract to run. Um, really enjoying it. I love love the buzz again on a Saturday, but, but not it's not as there's a difference between being a manager and a coach. It's you know you can it's slightly easier to switch off. Yes. Um, you know, and I've, maybe that's just a little bit more experience as well. But I mean, to give people an idea, as when you're a manager, if you win a game of football, the first thing you think about, or roughly the first thing you think about, or when you when all the furors settled, but the first thing you're thinking about is your team for next week. Mm-hmm. And and when you if you lose a game of football, right away you're thinking what you did wrong that day. So you never actually enjoy it. Uh, when you're a manager you have decisions to make that you decisions to make did I do the right thing whereas as a coach it's it's a little bit easier you know you've you've done your best that week or whatever and you know you've, you've got limited input on a Saturday you've, you've got some you know I, I go around all the players and speak quietly to them uh, but it's generally it's Robo's <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and 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 a really interesting question I like to always ask as well is, you know, because you obviously are a very strong family guy as well. I mean, does, is your wife pleased when you're away at the football most days? Does she like you around the house? I no, I think she's watching football back now. I must <laughs> back now. Far far too long. Yeah, we've, we've, you know, two. I've got two daughters, twenty. 20 and 21 so they're they still live at home so um, it's been it's been great you know getting spending a little bit more time with, with everyone um, because for a couple of years when doing the full time football and running the business it's been manic yes so actually probably the first few weeks I really needed the sort of a bit of downtime um, but like I said now I'm desperate to get back into it again yeah yeah uh, yeah, and, and hopefully, as I said, fingers crossed, all the all the clubs manage to manage to come out of it because it's it's going to be a tough time for a lot of a lot of clubs. Yeah, it, it certainly is, and, I, and that's one thing that I hope uh, really does come out of uh, this whole coronavirus. That all of the all the major teams and all the other teams as well can can get out of this unscathed because it really is unprecedented times we're in. Barry, I've uh, really enjoyed our discussion, and it's been an absolute privilege to chat to a guy who's done so much in Scottish football and uh, had a couple of fantastic memories along the way. Thanks for being a guest on the Campbell's Footballs podcast. No pleasure, man.
Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, on Instagram or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's Footballs. What a dangerous night!